Podcasting from the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Back to you is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. Podcasting from Chicago, an Opie production for the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Lasano and Friends. Hey, I'm Tony Lasano. Hi, I'm Chris Sway. I'm Kimmy Spoon. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Evie Olson. Hey, Michael Garay back here. And we have an exciting show this week. What do we have on this week? Too much Star Wars. Too much Disney. Not enough Star Wars. <laughs> Chris comes back from? Not here. Find out where. And gets pooped on. Sam goes to? Train land. Tommy talks about? Pooping on Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that and more on the next Los Angeles and Friends. An Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, where Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place. I'm sick of Marvel. I'm sick of Star Wars. I'm sick of it. That's the whole promo. I'm done. I'm out of here. I can't talk about it anymore. Radiomisfits.com. Samuel, are you ready? Yep, we're all good. Samuel said we're good to go whenever we want. Those are the words that matter. The you, only ones. You want to go? Other than mine. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go? You want to go home. Because <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> That's what he wants. Man, this is a short, quick one this week. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I have okay. a feeling, just like it's hard for us to end these things. Yes. I'm realizing it's hard to begin them. It is. I never know when you know why? Start. Why? When you've done absolutely no preparation. <laughs> <laughs> Samuel, when you do a show, do you do show prep? Uh, about five hours before the show. Get out of here. And then yeah. how, how much show prep, how long does it last? The whole show. Oh, wait, how uh, long does the show prep last? The Samuel, Samuel's showing off. Yeah, He's not doing the five the hours. Yeah. You prep the whole show. Tony, do you prep the whole show? Wait a minute, what is there to prep? What well, are we prepping? There's a lot to prep. That's why their shows are good. <laughs> Tony has I'm suggested... I'm never in on this prepping. Tony has... Well, I prep. I'm glad. I'm glad. Don't call me when it's prepping time. Tony suggests we prep. No, he doesn't. Strongly. No, he doesn't. We, we this is the first prep. time prepping okay. came up. Time out. You ready? I'm all prepped. <laughs> <laughs> the following is a Tony Lasano podcast and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast, podcast Network. <laughs> Do I have to read that again, or you can I just prep. keep going? Just a little more prep. You'll be Podcast right. Network, this is back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. <laughs> Are you all prepped for the show today? I'm, I'm well prepared. You know, we're getting close to Thanksgiving. As we do this show, a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving Day, and this is the time of year. Do I, sound, do I sound a little better now? Yeah, you because have to use the mic. Tony just yes. told me what this thing is for. <laughs> got to talk into it. After your 40 years in broadcasting, <laughs> he's got to right. show you how to use the mic. Well, I Whew. didn't always prep. All right, here we go. Yes. Uh, we almost go? Thanksgiving Day, yes. two weeks yes. from now. I don't know if it happens to you, but once uh, Halloween rolls around, I just go crazy. Desserts, candy. I'm not like that all the rest of the year. But it's like Halloween Day opens the door for as much junk as you can eat and much good stuff as you can eat, tasting stuff, until maybe the 2nd of January. Are you like that? No. I do clean out the Halloween candy, unfortunately. I mean, when the, you know, not enough kids come, okay, okay, okay. I, right, I wait, cannot wait. What stay does clean out mean? away from, well, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I clean out the bowl or whatever wow. they have it in. Wow. Clean out sounds like a lot of eating. It does. It does. But you look fine. 
<laughs> I mean, you don't look like you're all puffy. Well, you only see me from the desk up, like from the chest up. <laughs> everybody That's, looks fine that way. Um, well, not everybody. You well, look, and you know what? You look good for your age. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm going to tell our guests soon that we what that's all about because um, it's not funny to me, by the way. Everybody else is laughing at that. You can tell that story in a minute. Um, yeah. I have something that, um, by the way, um, you're talking about the holidays. WLIT-FM in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, they have already started their 24 hours of Christmas music or holiday music. Yeah. You and know what that means by, I don't know, the day before Thanksgiving, you're tired of it. I am. I mean, I'm not ready for Burl Ives in October <laughs> or November. Uh, you think anybody knows who Burl Ives is? Once you say what he's famous for, then they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But other than that, that's a real early 20th century reference. Yeah, but it's a very, very, very famous <laughs> Christmas song yeah. that he sang. Yeah. You what was the look, name of it? You don't look bad for your age either, Grandpa. <laughs> Burl Ives, man. It was a Holly Jolly Christmas? Yes. Yeah. I believe it was. Yeah. Um, you made Just like Donny Hathaway will always be known for uh, his Christmas song. da 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 you know, Merry Christmas. No, uh, I've never heard of oh, Donny Hathaway. It. Oh, my goodness. You? Oh. Yeah. Have you? Okay. Have for you? sure. Dun, 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 All right. Hang on the mistletoe. I'm going to get to love you better. This Christmas. And all the night girls and boys will open their Christmas toys together. This Christmas. Firelights blazing bright. Doom, 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 doom. Candle caroling through the night. And this Christmas will be a very special Christmas for me. Wow. I got to give you a round of applause yes, for that. Sir. See, oh, Samuel, no. you don't need any preparation. You just let it fly, man. We're going to bring in our guest since he uh, did that beautiful rendition. He was great. Of that wasn't song, it? he was fabulous. This is the first time in the history of Back to You that we have had a guest that we will address as senator. Yes, indeed. And uh, that is, that's kind of cool. It is. It's nice to have someone that um, uh, is so talented in various ways, and uh, his career has taken him in different directions. But the ultimate man, he is a, a, an official for the state, and it's, it's great to be able to talk to him. He's, a, he's, a, he's varied in his interests, as we just heard. How many senators are you going to get to come in and sing a little Danny, Donny Hathaway with you? You're all right. I bet, I, bet, I, bet, I bet a former senator, state senator, would be able to do it. Yeah. And he became president. Oh, well, sure. Because yeah. I heard him. You, did you ever hear when he, Barack Obama sang to Al Green? Uh, yeah. When Al Green was in the audience? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've seen him. And he sang a, really well. On a few occasions, uh, jump into whatever the performance was. And he's very good. He is. He's yeah. very, very talented. Anyway, our guest we welcome is State Senator Napoleon Harris. How are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I have uh, known you. I don't know if you remember, but I interviewed you for Channel 2 in high school. And um, I believe you were a basketball and football player. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you 
I think you had a fantastic basketball team that year where you were undefeated. Yeah, we were undefeated until the last game of the year. We oh. lost in the state championship game. We had 31-0 and 0 mm, and really? lost to Peoria yeah. Manuel. Oh, boy. Peoria Manuel had some they had a great run. Teams. They had a great run. They, they, won, they actually won four straight state championships, and unfortunately, we were on the other end of those defeats, yeah, were undefeated. Uh-huh. Now, he's going on to play college and professional football. Does that still stick with you? It does. Because what you remember most, you know, you, you, you form relationships, of course, in college. You, you, you form uh, great relationships in the pros. You, you meet outstanding people that you become friends with later on in life. But when you're in high school, those are the guys that you actually grew up in the neighborhood with. Sure. Those are your lifelong friends that you build uh, special bonds because you live on the same block, you go to the same schools, you go to the same grocery stores, etc. So those are the relationships that they're easy to build. And sure. the memories that you create during that lifetime, during that time, is just special. And you go through the, yeah, you're right, the same experiences, the same highs, the same lows, the, the tough times, the yeah. good times. And, and, it's, and it's really, everybody's on the same playing field. Like in college, you know, there's Okay, this is a guy. He's an All-American from California. He's an All-American from New York. This guy's a really good linebacker from Florida. When you play in high school ball, it's just, that's my buddy You're from right. around yeah. the way. Yeah. From, he lives two right. blocks over. He lives three yeah. houses down. <laughs> right. His mother knows my mom. They go to church. We go to church together. It's like, it's my boy. It's forever. It's forever. Now, does that loss still stick? I mean, does that bother you to this day? I that you lost a manual? Bother is probably an understatement. You know, it sure. really stings. It, it stings mm. because I truly believe had we the won one of those three, that team would have probably been considered uh, the greatest high school basketball team in the history of the state of Illinois. Yeah. Uh, and, and right now you can arguably say that the Quinn Buckner's, the 71-72 Thornridge team, right. was because they went undefeated for two years in two, uh, two state championships. But yeah. wow. when you look at that team that we had, <laughs> for, when you talk about the starting five as well as the bench, we had nine guys go pro. <laughs> really? Off something? of that team? Unbelievable. Who was your coach? Uh, coach Rocky Hill. Yeah, Coach Rocky Hill. That's and he's, right. He's yes. now back. At Thorn Ridge, his alma mater as the head coach now. Oh, he is. Yeah, I talked to him all the time. Guy. What a great guy. What'd you learn from him about outside of basketball? Outside of basketball, it, things that you don't realize as a young man, as a young person, and you grow and you you tend to value it is the discipline. Coach Hill was a very disciplinary coach, and we hated it from a child's perspective because we were young guys. We were, yeah. you know, and Coach Hill was very structured. You know, you come to practice, it was his way, and this is the way we're going to do it. And it was you, not a hair out of line. It's like, it's got to be perfect. He was a perfectionist and, and a hard worker at that. And what he taught us was to work hard, to strive to be the best, and be disciplined in what you do. And those characteristics transcended not only just for basketball, but they transcended to the classroom and to later on in life and everything that each and every one of us as players were able to do. I think it definitely tremendously helped us out in all the different aspects of our lives. It sounds like you enjoy basketball so much, had such success. How how'd you wind up spending most of your time playing football and playing it so well? You know, that's that's actually a true story that I love basketball more than I did football. Did you? And for me, the, it was just one of those things where I was just happened to be good in football. 
Uh, basketball was my passion. And I just remember I played it in college as well. When right. I first got to Northwestern, uh, I played for Kevin O'Neill. Oh, did and, you? And uh, I actually had a couple really good games uh, my freshman year at Northwestern. And I just remember Coach O'Neill coming to me uh, one day and said, listen, you're doing a good job. You're helping us out. We appreciate what you're doing. You're playing well. But some scouts came here and said that you have a chance to be the first linebacker taken if you just get in the weight room a little bit and work a little harder in football. And I was like, yeah, but I love basketball. He said, listen. You're six foot three. There's a lot of guys, six, seven, six, eight. Your chances of taking care of your family are probably better in football. Go make yourself, go make your family some money and do football. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and it, it was really, you know, good advice yeah. from, from him, but it was something that I just loved to do was compete. So it yeah. didn't make basketball, uh, football any less of a sport. I just love to compete. So that competition, the spirit of competition that I had, ultimately just helped me fuel me to become a better football player yeah uh at northwestern was did you play for gary barnett yes at I was, all i was, two, the years, first two, I was years? two years with gary barnett and two years with randy walker so that's when the team was really during that period is when northwestern was turning you know from being a doormat into becoming a force and correct. being very competitive correct so we, we had were some great years that. i was part of that we won a big team when i was there uh, so it was really refreshing to see the change to say, hey, we're no longer the doormat and we're now we're competitive and we're in the games and we're sending guys to the NFL because that's been the stigma for Northwestern. They're the quote unquote smart school. Yes. They don't play <laughs> sports well. They're good in the classroom, but not on the gridiron. And we like to change that narrative. And we sent a lot of good guys to the uh, National Football League. Yeah. Not a lot of people think that uh, they they they're jealous. They don't like like you because they're like it's not fair for them to be good at football and be smart it's got to be <laughs> tough too to uh, to face the challenges of a school like northwestern devote a lot of this time to football and you're devoting time to studies too because that that's a big part of what that school is all about well yes and no I, I say yes because anything that you decide to do that's worthwhile having is going to be challenging. There's going to be obstacles and there's going to be a, a level of sacrifice that you have to do to, to do it. I say no because it's like any other school. You know, people have this stigma and say, wow, Northwestern. It's, if I'd have went to Harvard, if I'd have went to Yale, if I'd went to Stanford, Duke, Miami, or whatever school, I think the requirement to be successful or the requirement to be great will nevertheless be the same. Uh, I couldn't go out and party every single night if sure. you want to achieve excellence. Uh, when you think about various athletes, and I've studied this uh, because I've went through it myself. When you, I, I was reading something where Kobe Bryant was talking about sacrifice. He'll get up at 5 a.m., go work out, go eat breakfast, shower, sleep for a couple hours, get back up, be back in the gym by 10, work out for two hours, take a lunch, go back at 3 go practice for two hours, go back rest, then come back from six to eight. Now, he's worked out four times when the average guy's probably in the bed, mm -hmm. getting up, only doing it one time a day, only spending in two hours. He's put in so many hours that it's impossible for the next person to catch up. Yeah. We go, we go yeah. full circle, man. We're talking about prepping. And there's a saying, proper preparation prevents poor performance. And... Uh, getting back directly to the to the point that you were making, uh, Steve, was that 
in college, I had to sacrifice a lot. Mm-hmm. I had to sacrifice going out to parties. Uh, had to sacrifice was hanging out with my friends back home because Northwestern is in close proximity uh, to Chicago area where I'm from. And realized my focus was, hey, I got to hit the books because there's deadlines to be made. I have to be eligible to play. Plus, I take a lot of pride in being successful in the classroom as well. Then on top of that, I wanted to be the best. So I had to go in the weight room. I had to compete with other guys that wanted the same thing I wanted. Uh, I was in competition every every day with Kevin Bentley and Billy Silver and Pat Dirt, just to name a few. Those linebackers pushed me. Barry Gardner. We were very competitive within that circle. And I tell them guys to this day, they are a big part of the reason why I was so successful because they pushed me every day in practice. Sure. If I was slipping up, Kevin Bentley was right on my coattail. And he'll, t- he'll let you know, no, nah, I'm going to win the next one. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. But we pushed each other, and Kevin ended up going, getting drafted as well, uh, playing 10 years in the National Football League as well. So uh, it's a great success story that when, you ha- when you're highly motivated, you're disciplined, and you give up things and sacrifice for the better good, good things will happen. Yeah. What was I- your major – uh, communications. This is what I wanted to do. Oh, here uh, we are. No wonder it's flowing like this. It's just, <laughs> this know? is the way it ought to be. Uh, you know, who knows, you know, maybe one day I'll be on television or TV or radio or in the studio, Big Ten Network, ESPN. I, you could do it right now. <laughs> or me and Howard and Steve, we could get our own show. Uh, hey. I think I think that's, we got it right now. We got right? it. Yeah. yeah. We got it. You know, We're living we, our best life. Here we are. <laughs> you know what happened though, Steve? What? He'd be the guy like the linebackers that were pushing him. He would be getting us to, making us prepare. No, you know what would happen really? Come on, Steve, I'd come in here. I'd come in here so pissed off one day when I heard the open, and it would be, hey, and welcome to Back to Us with Howard and Napoleon and the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be us. Who is us? All of us. Yes. (laughs) We're a team. Now, now uh, were you drafted by the Raiders? Correct. I was a first-round, 23rd pick by the Oakland Raiders. Man, I'm looking at the Raiders last night, and I'm wondering – the, the Raiders won last night, by the yeah. way, and um, looked good against the Chargers. But I'm thinking, did Napoleon play for John Gruden? No, I didn't. What's, what's intriguing about the relationship that uh, myself and Gruden has is that the year I was drafted, I thought I was going to be playing for John Gruden. Al Davis did something that no one has ever done in the history of the NFL. He traded his coach. Oh, yes. The Tampa. To the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> yes. for draft picks. Yeah. And I was the first round draft pick that they traded to Tampa Bay. No. no. So, in essence, I was traded for John Gruden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and, and as fate would have it, yeah. that same year, we wind up going to the Super Bowl and playing against John Gruden, Tampa Bay, and Oakland. Yeah, Super Bowl 37. Isn't that something? What a story. Then fast forward later, I'm a free agent in 2007, and I was narrowing it down between Kansas City and Tampa Bay. I, I, get, I take a trip down to Tampa, visit with John. John. Uh, when I get home, my mother's like, I didn't answer the phone. I didn't recognize the number. Some, and I played it. She's like, some guy called you. And I'm like, I hit play on the <laughs> voicemail. <laughs> It's John Gruden. <laughs> Napo, this is Gruden. Just wanted to say, man, it was great meeting with you today. 
and I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So when he was traded, then did you play for Art Shell? No, it was a it was actually a Chicago native, Bill Callahan, who's now the oh. uh, uh, acting coach now for the Washington Redskins. Yes, he he was the coach for two oh. years, and then North Turner came in. Oh, okay, Arshel came after North Turner. He did. Yeah. Did you? Um, was there a favorite team you played for? Best experience. Well, did you did you play for five teams? I played for three teams. I three played teams. for uh, the Oakland Raiders, the Minnesota Vikings, and Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, if you ask me a favorite team, I would have to say the Raiders. Uh, you can't beat the experience of playing in a black hole, playing oh. for a legendary uh, icon in, in, in the National Football League like Al Davis, uh, the whole Oakland experience, and then have an opportunity to play in the biggest game of the sport, the Super Bowl. Winning the conference, uh, it was just special. Uh, also, I had special times in Minnesota. We won the, the division in Minnesota as well. I had a great de- uh, defense. Uh, my time spent in Kansas City, I led the team in tackles. I mean, I had an overall just a great experience playing in the National Football League. But Oakland Raiders was happened to be probably the best experience of playing in the football. In that, did, did you ever get injured in any way that seemed like it was going to be career-threatening? Well, yes. Uh, I hurt my knee, uh, tore my meniscus, and it just didn't recover the way that I wanted it to at the time. It took more time than I thought. And part of the reason why I, I stopped playing was I had a neck injury. No. Uh, and that was probably the reason why I was not able to continue. Uh, I had an offer to play with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well as the Detroit Lions. Uh, but I was probably going to go to Pittsburgh because Mike Tomlin was there, who happened to be my defensive coordinator in Minnesota. Went there for the visit had no idea that anything was wrong. They took mm-hmm. a physical, did the MRI, and he came in the room and said, when are you going to tell me about your neck? Hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they showed me I had a C3 or C4 fusion with my neck, and I was like, well, it, it'll be okay. Let's." He's like, dude, you can't pass a physical. Hmm. Then I ended up going out to uh, a specialist out in Los Angeles, the, actually the same doctor that did Peyton Manning's neck surgery, and he gave me options. He said, hey, you can get surgery, or over time it'll heal. He said, but I can't clear you because you can uh, risk paralysis. And I said, hey, I played seven years in the National Football League. It's been good for me. It gave me a great start to my life to, uh, to provide for my family. Uh, it's not worth my health to get out mm-hmm. there trying to play again. So I decided not to play. Very smart. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of guys that uh, you know would have had the surgery in a heartbeat and gone out there because they can't give it up. Well, and, and there'll be a lot of guys who, who think, okay, what kind of future do I have? What am I going to do next? How am I going to be? How's this going to translate into something after football life? And I just don't know how you wind up becoming state <laughs> senator. From, from I know it wasn't a next day. No, uh, it, it wasn't a next day decision. I, I've had, as I say, multiple lives within that. You know, uh, right after football, I actually was running my restaurants. I, I own and operate pizza restaurants, Beggar's Pizza. And I was doing that. I was doing that. And at the time, uh, Reverend James Meeks was the senator who preceded me. And there was talk that he was not going to run for reelection. And a group of clergy came into my restaurant and said, hey, we want you to run for Senate. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, I'm retired. I'm I'm running the restaurants. I'm doing good. I have a 
a young child. My, I think at the time, little Napoleon was maybe three or four, <laughs> and that was my only my only child. I'm like, I'm just starting up, getting him going with baseball. I, I'm going to just do this for a minute. And but you got what? But I bet you this might have been part of the conversation. But Napoleon, you got a good name, and people oh, know you. Yes, that was definitely part of the conversation. They said, "Hey, you're from this area. Everybody knows you. Yeah, you're not gonna. You don't have any baggage." This is something that we believe that you best represent what the people around here needs because mm-hmm. you know the issues because you lived it. And once I started talking to more and more people, I was like, man, they kind of have a point. It's like when I'm going knocking on doors, they were like, hey, Napoleon, can we take a picture with you? Hey, this mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and then what made that the first time around so special for me is that when I'm knocking on doors, there's doors that I've knocked on before. It's my neighborhood. Sure. So when I'm knocking on doors and people coming to the doors, it's like, oh, hey, Jack. Hey, Marilyn, I went to school with you. We went to, mm-hmm. we were in eighth grade together in Miss Graham class. Oh, we was at Thornton together. Oh, yeah, you were in English class with me. <laughs> or, hey, I know you. You're Brenda's son. I went, to sc- I went to high school with your mom. You know, so it was definitely a community feel. And probably one of the biggest uh, emotionally charged things for me doing my campaign was that the first signature that I went to get was my grandmother's. Oh, that's so going back, she was the beautiful. first person to sign my uh, my petition paper, and I still have it at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, some of my former teachers, I'm going through the neighborhood there. We're so proud of you, and, and it's to see the joy on their face because they're telling other people's stories about, I remember when he was in seventh grade. I remember when he was mm-hmm. a sophomore in high school. And one of my former uh, teachers now is the mayor of Phoenix, one of the cities that, that I represent, Mayor Terry Wells. He was my social studies teacher. <laughs> really? And he talks about it all. So when I was running, he would bring me, hey, see, I, I, I am a good teacher. Look what I, this is my, this is my kid. This, <laughs> so those are some of the, the feel-good stories that, the experiences that I had while on the campaign trail. Definitely great. And well, was- knowing you, I think that uh, all the people that signed those signatures um, had said sometime in their life, that young man is going to be something. Yeah. He's going to amount to something. And um, I'm sure, uh, I mean, they're they're all proud of you. And uh, we are. I mean, you're a, you, you've done it all. You played professional football. You got a degree at a great school. And now you're in Springfield trying to make a difference. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think that's what, when you look at your life overall, when, it's, when, you, when you reflect, you want to say, what difference did I make? How did I help others, pe- other people realize their dreams? And that's something that I take a lot of pride in. I want to be a blessing. and want to help in any way I possibly can. And that's why this job is so unique. But, sure. you, you know, it just, it just doesn't happen out of the sky there must have been some people in your life early that put that in your head that you could be whatever you wanted to be well actually it was my mother and my grandmother like I remember this vividly coming home from school and my mom asked me she said who is the smartest person in your class and you know when you're young you're pretty honest (laughs) you Mm -hmm. say I was like I think Tiffany and Tiana, two girls, they always get A's on their paper all the time. She said, that's great. Come here. I'm, 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 like, I'm about to ride my bike around the block a couple of months. So she's like, no, you're not. You're about to bring the bike in. We're going to sit down at the table, and we're going to work on you becoming the smartest person in the class. <laughs> so 
every time she asked me from then on out, who's the smart? I said, I am. <laughs> and one of those things that when you say something, as they say, you speak it into existence. And for me, I had to live up to the expectation that I, t- man, I told my mother I'm the smartest, so I had to work hard. So now, high on a row, it's, they called it TNT. I'll never forget it. It was Tiffany, Napoleon, and Tiana. <laughs> so my name was always mentioned. So we always, we were the three always getting A's, always getting A's. And I just, for some, with me, it was more so, it was competition. It's like, I told uh-huh. my mother I'm the best, so I have to prove to her that I'm the best because I don't want to let her down. Sure. And that one conversation carried me all the way to today. And yeah. I, I still operate in that same mode. If yeah. I don't know something, I'm going to try to learn as much as I can about it to my, educate myself on it. My mom and dad told me to go out and ride your bike and play basketball because you've got no shot of being the smartest person <laughs> in your class. They knew it right away. And you lived up to that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, here I well, am. you proved them wrong. <laughs> you know, well, I, I, I really... Uh, love the things you're saying and there's some of the things that I worry about it's funny when you become a grandparent you tend to worry even more mm-hmm. about your grandkids because you were so busy working during your children's lives that you were just handling things you know at home and everywhere else but you know, I have a nine year old grandson who's very athletic and he's and he showed promise of what he does I don't want to lose him in school I don't want him to to know that, uh, to not realize that it's just important to be, you know, you have your mind athletically working. You know, how do you how do you get to a kid to let them know? Any kid, not just him. I'm just thinking about kids who think that they could could make it in the NFL or be uh, NBA players. Uh, that many people call, but few are chosen right. for that kind of work. Well, it's funny because I'm actually going through that now. I have an 11 year old. And a eight-year-old, and those two, they love sports, and they're pretty good for their age. I think, uh, as I call it, they're on schedule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, they, they're pretty good. Yeah. They're good in basketball. They're good in baseball. Uh, they're good in football. I I personally put parameters in place, and I let them know if this doesn't get done, which is this is the schoolwork, then we're not doing this. What you want. So no books, no ball. And th- that's the kind of relationship we have. And to be honest, my oldest son, he's, he's never gotten a B to date. He's straight A's. Mm, wow. He's in sixth grade. First Beautiful. semester just ended. Fabulous. All A's again. And he was on the cuffs. He's almost had a B. He's, he's squeaked out the last one. I was like, and of course, if he gets a B, it's going to be my fault. Because mom's going to say, well, you're spending too much time working out, doing basketball or football or playing sports. And, you know, I don't want pressure on him to say that you have to make all A's every single time. Right. But he's no different. He now sees that because that's the structure that we set forth in the beginning. He that's that's his norm. And I love it because he now I don't have to get on him to do his homework. He comes right in. He's like, I already know if I don't do my work, dad's not taking me to the gym. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Those are the parameters that we set. And now it's good because the little brother has a role model and big brother to say, hey, you see what big brother's mm-hmm. doing. This is the path. He's leading you. And so uh, we have a good working relationship where schoolwork comes before sports, because like I explained to him, life is this long. Sports is this long. However, 
if you wanted a fortunate and blessed to make it to the pro ranks, the money that you make here has to last here. Yeah. And I let, and then to be honest, what I told my son was this. I said, if I can have it my way, I would not want you to play professional sports. I would want you to be a, a, a money manager or, or a finance broker, understand the stock market and trades and be a, a, a asset and money manager. And when you look at financial wealth in the country, when you look at most billionaires, they're wealth management. They are. And that's something that most young, especially African-American and, and impoverished communities and, and inner cities, they don't have the open access to that trade or that mm -hmm. they're being promoted to say, oh, you're going to be a basketball player or football player. Like most of the time when you see a tall kid who happens to be inner city African-American, they say, oh, I know you play basketball. Yeah, Nobody yeah. goes to the kid and say, hey, man, you'll make a great lawyer. Mm -hmm. right. And I think it's all about uh, opportunity and access. And for me, I was fortunate to crack through you know, and go to a great school like Northwestern and, and be more open and, and access available to different occupations. And now my children will have better access than I've had. And from what I do, I try to open up that access to others as well uh, because I coach. You know, I coach youth basketball and youth oh, baseball. Uh, I coach with uh, it's the Main Streets Basketball Organization. I coach my sixth grade team. I coach a seventh grade team. And I coach uh, a second grade team outside of my everyday jobs. <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, you know, you mentioned wealth management. Now, when, you, when you're drafted into the NFL, they put you through, they have pretty extensive programs, don't they, to tell players that, you know, like you were talking about, your career in the NFL is probably going to be mm -hmm. this long. I think it averages about four years now. Two and a half. Is mm. it two and a half now? Mm -hmm. Two and a half years mm -hmm. for an average career. And so that money has to last you. So they, they do have an educational program, don't they? Yeah, they do. But this is, this is the problem, I, I would say, with that. You come in, you're 19, uh, most of the time I say 20. So you're between 20 and 22. Most guys are between 20 and 22 when they enter the National Football League. You come into a room, you're being gifted. It's like winning a lottery. You've never had access to that type of capital before. And now you're an adult financially. And they say, here you go. Go buy a house. Go invest. Go do." They don't tell you how. They tell you what not to do or the pitfalls that may arise, but they don't tell yeah. you how. And I think a lot of guys, more times than, not, than none, they go into these rooms, and when the NFL provides a lot of information, I'm talking to my buddy in the back. Yeah, I'm not really sure. paying attention to the yeah, people. Yeah. It's like, hey, I made it. I know what to do. I'm going to figure it out. They don't really understand taxation. That when when they say, oh, he has a contract worth $30 million, he's not getting $30 million. You're going to tax it, and then you're going to get the rest of the money. And then you're not going to get all the money because some are some are included in signing bonuses. Some is backloaded just to make the deal sound good on television. Mm -hmm. So people say, oh, man, he has a lot of money. You're never going to see all of it. And you have an agent. And you have an agent that you have to pay fees to. Then uh, some people have entourages and people, friends that they grew up with that are like, hey, remember me? Mm -hmm. if, if it wasn't for me, I would, you wouldn't have been like that. So there's a lot of stress <laughs> to, to say the least, to, to deal with. There's a lot of responsibility as well. 
uh, because it's, it just doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to get it all. You're not going to have all the answers on day one. And it's something that I had to work through. But fortunately for me, I kind of prepared myself knowing that things like this would possibly happen. And then I was one of the few that actually listened. And then I'm like, hey, they got a point. That sounds familiar. Let me watch out for this. And then for me, I think the, the number one thing that helped me, I was always afraid to go back to starting point. So that kind of uh-huh. helped me to not be erratic in my spending, to be careful about get-rich-quick schemes, because mm-hmm. I was like, hey, no, I made it. I'm not going back to square one. And I'm sure everybody's, yeah. uh, you're just pounded with schemes oh. and opportunities. So I, had the, I have the greatest line for that, because I've had so many people exactly, as soon as they see the contracts get published in USA Today every year with all the uh, football players, the NBA, whatever, they post it, it's public knowledge what salaries are. People come up to you and say, hey, I have a great idea. It's going to make a million dollars. And my line will say, hey, man, if you got an idea to make you a million dollars, I wouldn't tell nobody. I'm just going to do it to make you a million. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? Sure. And so that'll, like, defer, uh, defer it off of me. And then they'll, they'll think about it and say, man, I think you should go to the bank, get you a loan to make you a million, man. I don't want to cut in on, on what you're going to get. <laughs> so, now, do you have... Um, any acquaintances or friends or players who are still playing? Do you ever run into to various players for whatever reason? Right now, the guys who I've come up with are all pretty much done. The only, <laughs> the only guys who I could say came in around the same time or maybe a year or two before are still playing our quarterbacks. Yeah. That would be Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Josh McCown. They were all playing when you were playing. They all playing when I'm playing. Those are the only guys. Well, Tom and, and Brady is about 67. And now. I would say, well, yeah. Adrian Peterson is still playing, but that, that's about it. All the other guys are are done. Charles Woodson's done. Though Danny and Thomas and Julius Peppers, David Carr, Ed Reed, who just went into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh-huh. he was actually the pick after me. I was 23. He was 24. <laughs> yeah, really? You know, so one of my one of my draft mates. In the Hall of Fame. Well, the two guys still playing, Tom Brady and Adrian Peterson, not bad. And you're right. Uh, Brady did just turn 67. (laughs) And he hasn't changed a bit, has he? And I don't understand what's happening with Adrian Peterson because as much as he has been active as a player, he doesn't show any signs of really breaking apart. He works extremely hard. Uh, Having him as a teammate in Minnesota. uh, a couple years, uh, he works extremely hard, takes care of his body, and he's determined. You know, I, I believe he's already solidified himself as a future Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, right now he's probably playing because he feels like if he can squeeze out another two years, he possibly has an opportunity to to climb and try to catch Emmitt Smith on the all-time rushing list as mm-hmm. number one. Uh, if he, I mean, I think he has to rush for maybe. 60 yards a game for the next two years. I think he'll be right there. So I think that's something that's definitely on his mind. Let me, sure. let me leave the game as the all-time leading rusher. Yeah, he's that kind of a player. We are visiting on Back to You with uh, Illinois State Senator Napoleon Harris, former NFL player, former Northwestern Wildcat, and we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. 
On this week's Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Jews kicked out of prison for arguing. My mother is not a stripper. Fried chicken that tastes like women's feet. My brush with Lorne Green. And our interview with Robert Lorzel, Chicagoan and Chicago Minutia Guy. All that and unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Man. Tony Lasano Podcast, an Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com. Hey, Howard, did you know that an event called Stay Tuned? Rock on TV is here at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. I do now after you told me about it, but for more details, visit museum.tv. If you're a fan of the English Premier League, you'll want to check out Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. As you can hear by his accent, Adam is from England originally. Chelsea fan, if you must know. And he's also an expert in soccer tactics and methods. He's the director of coaching for the Illinois Youth Soccer Association. So obviously, he has some incredible insights into the game. Tune in every week. We're on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. A Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show, and because it's soccer, we never use our hands. Radiomisfits.com. And we are back. This is Back to You with Howard Sudbury and the rest. <laughs> um, my. You see how we roll, Napoleon? Wow. I thought it was us. Right, exactly. What happened we to us? We just talked about this. Yes. It was <laughs> I, pre-recorded. I have, oh, was it really? It was pre-recorded. <laughs> and he, wrote it, he read it just exactly... As I instructed him. <laughs> that, is pretty, that is pretty funny. I didn't know that existed. I mean, we've, we're, each week we've had some twists with, like, who gets introduced and how we get introduced. And it's usually me with the short stick because I'm the complainer about it. So that's pretty funny. Yeah. That's very good. I'm he, sure you didn't prepare that. See, he does complain about it all the time, Napoleon, because... Because I sit over here, well, I, I don't know what's so magic about sitting there. There's buttons in front yeah, of me. He likes to have I don't this press big facilitator. Em. I don't press See, them. It's if, uh, you know what, part of the problem is, Napoleon, I have um, I worked for a long time at CBS. And for CBS, we both did, and I, over 30 years. And when I broke away from doing the nightly newscasts, I got real good at not wanting to do much. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I, I will gladly see him in that facilitator's chair. It's great. You know, what, the way we're talking to each other, and you included, because you have become part of this ensemble today, is, this is the way Howard and I usually talk on the phone, on the telephone, because we, we talk a lot about all sorts of things. And we get in here and we try to do these shows, and we think it's going to be one topic, and then it, I mean, we had no idea we'd be singing Christmas songs today. <laughs> but you roll in, we have a conversation, it comes out of really, I don't know where, but that's what makes it fun for us. And so that, I think that's the reason why it is energizing when we get here. That's the reason why we don't prepare. <laughs> I think so. It's like a little, little bit of a tightrope walk. <laughs> let it, let it flow naturally. It is. Yes, exactly. We got to ad lib, um, Senator. Do uh, what do most people that know you well call you? Napo. Do they? Okay. See, I, I'm not really hung up on titles. I, I get it. That of course, if you're the president, is you're not going to call uh, the president by his first name. You're going to say president. Mm-hmm. Last name, you know, but yeah. and most people, you know, depending on what setting are you in, would say, "Hey, Senator or Senator Harris or whatever." I'm still Napo. I, I mean, at the end of the day, hey, I was a professional football player. I was 
a Northwestern student. I was an Oakland Raider or this or that. I'm currently a senator. When you die, they're going to have all these good things written in your obituary on your tombstone. But at the end of the day, I was born Napoleon Harris. I'm going to die Napoleon mm-hmm. Harris. Yeah. You know, that's the way I look at it. I don't get caught up with titles because they don't, they don't make the person. The person makes the title. And I have a saying that I keep up on my wall in the office. Uh, you're going to treat the janitor the same way you're going to treat the CEO. That's a and great way to look you, at life. You know, uh, Elijah Cummins passed yes. away yeah. not long ago, and uh, Barack Obama was was one of those invited to speak at the funeral. And he said, it, lots of folks get that title, Honorable, the Honorable Elijah Cummings. Mm-hmm. And he said one thing about him is he was honorable before he held office, uh, which is what you're saying. You know, yeah. you try to be... As a person, the best person you can be, and that's 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 your title. Your name is your title, and 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 hopefully that exudes before, like they say, your name precedes itself. Uh, I don't get hung up on the titles. You know, my, my grandmother wouldn't allow it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you uh, was. President Obama gone when you got to Springfield? Yes, he was. was uh, When I got to Springfield, he was the president already. Oh, he was. Uh, Do you know him? Yes, we've met. And it was a funny story in the way we actually met the the first time and then how we kind of brought it full circle. The first time I ever met him was at Northwestern. At the time, uh, Bill Carmody was the head coach of the men's basketball, sure. and Craig Robinson was the assistant coach. Yeah, I remember because I was going in basketball. It was like right when I stopped playing basketball, but I was still on the, playing football, about to go pro. Uh-huh. And I'm going to the basketball office still because I still play basketball with the team all the time. I go in there. I'm talking to Craig. He's like, hey, I want you to be my brother-in-law, Barack. <laughs> he was sitting on the couch, and then he goes back, and he was shooting us some shots. I'm looking like, Man, your brother and I have a funny looking shot. Like, what is he? What is he <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's a uh, he's a state senator down in Springfield. I'm like, he he was a a no name guy at the time. Like right. nobody, you know, I wouldn't know him because he wasn't in my district. And you know, if you don't really know your state senator, you're not gonna know him. Right. Fast forward a few years later, I'm at the Raiders, and my aunt calls me. She say, it's a guy that's running for U.S. senator. His name is Barack Obama. And, I, and at the time, he didn't register. I'm like, Barack Obama? I'm like, she's like, I want you to come out when you come home. I want you to come out to an event he's having to hear him speak. He speaks mm. so well. Mm. And I'm, look, I'm like, most people look at the ballots and they're looking at names. They're like, Barack Obama? And it was kind of like after the 9-11 situation. I'm like, I don't know. This just on name recognition, it mm. may not work. Went out to an event. I heard him speak. I heard him deliver his message, and I was like, "He's really dynamic. Yes. Like this guy is is the real deal." Yeah, he wins that. And then at the time, I had my foundation going uh, when we were giving our scholarships to college and everything. When I was still playing the NFL, and we invited him to come speak. Uh, he he unfortunately couldn't make it, but he sent he sent the video message, and and then he had uh, Julian Green, who was his uh, chief of staff at the sure. time. Uh, he actually came and it was just, then the next time we physically saw each other I was actually running for office and he did he was the president at the time and he uh, spoke at uh, UIC UIC forum and uh, I'm down 
And he come down and shake my hand. And he was like, what's your name again? I was like, Napoleon. He's like, I thought so. <laughs> I was like, that made me feel good. I'm like, the president knows who I am. So everybody was asking me. They was like, what did he say to you? And it was, it was right before the primary. I was like, yeah, he told me go win. <laughs> yeah, he said he supports me. <laughs> well, as Steve knows, when he was state senator, I used to play basketball at the East Bank Club and used to play with him. And there was a there was a tall, thin man that uh, had kind of a funny shot. And when you guarded him, you knew that he could only go to his left because he's a left-hander. So you'd overplay him the other way. And um, you could shut him down pretty easily. But he was a pretty good basketball player. But ironically, because I was on television at the time, and I somebody told me that's Barack Obama. He's a state senator. And I didn't know him. And he came over and introduced himself to me because he watched television in Chicago. So he knew who I was. And then the next thing I know, he's state senator. And the next thing I know, he's president of the United States. So. And, and, I, I'd, and I'd be around at the East Bank just hanging out, and I would see them sometimes after the game, including Barack Obama yeah. at the time. And they were just guys talking about what they should have won or I wish that shot had come in. Why didn't you pass more? I mean, but it was just yeah. a regular person. It was just a pickup basketball yes. game. That's, he, he loved, like me, and I played for a long time, he just loved to play pickup basketball. He was good. He was competitive. You know how it goes when you're at the court there. You have to win to keep the court, yeah. or you have to sit down, and then there's you know three more groups of guys that come in. You have to wait 20 minutes. So you <laughs> you fight, man, and you play, and that's, that's the way he was. But uh, he knew my name then, yeah. and I'm sure he doesn't know it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but what that says, and, and what it, I mean, what it reinforces is that uh, he was a real person. Uh, he wasn't campaigning for anything. He seemed decent. And you say more about yourself sometimes when you're not talking. Right. You know, how you listen and react to people. And it goes a long way. I mean, you don't forget your first encounter with him you know, or listening to him speak. And he moved you as a senator, as, you know, and you're a student or 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 a young professional as an NFL player, and you sort of pass that same thing forward. It was inspiring, to say the least. You see a pretty young guy talking about a new state of Illinois, a new America. And when you combine all those things, he's talking about a melting pot and how times have changed and different millennial things. And it was inspiring. It's like, wow, if everybody can think like that and love everybody and peace be for everybody and everybody have opportunity mm-hmm. and access, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you, I think his message was the right message at the time. And it still is the right message today that if we all can love yes. be in a place of a good space with each other. That we can all get along. Yeah, well, I don't it, want to get too political. Right. But, but here's the thing, here's how the things thing that I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that <laughs> it, one day we'll have uh, uh, the former President Obama on this program if he doesn't recall Howard all up in his face, fouling him, <laughs> grabbing him. You know. I didn't have to foul him. Oh, my goodness. I just overplayed him the other yeah, way. Make him go right. He, yeah, make him go right. He's got no, no chance. But I scored on him, and he knows <laughs> sure. it. Um, 
I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you have his number? No. <laughs> okay. We have, we're, our goal, Tony's laughing here, our goal <laughs> is to get him on this podcast. And we thought maybe we had a shot if you had his number. Well, I don't have Do you number, know anybody? I know I have Craig's has, number. I can call Craig. That's call, his brother-in-law. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We got progress. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, the next thing is you might have Craig's number. Would you call Craig's number on behalf of us? Yes. Wow. Not that we're pressuring you in any not way. That, no, no, you don't want to put me on the spot. You don't right. know, said it over the radio. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not a problem. I mean, yeah, no. What, am, what do you expect me to do right now? <laughs> right now. Hey, could you imagine the call with Craig? <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, he's his brother-in-law, so he calls him Brock. Brock, um, hey, what's up, Craig? Um, I got a couple guys that want to have you on their podcast. And then how do you think that would go from there, Steve? It would be fine until he said who. <laughs> it would go all go downhill from there. I, I just saw something about the Obama Foundation last night on, on the TNT basketball game. And he was talking about that. Um, so uh, it's funny how all these things are, you know, you get sort of psychic as we're thinking in the same direction with a lot of things here, which makes this program interesting. We hope that. so, yeah. <laughs> um, for, for What are you most proud of that you have accomplished in Springfield? I'm sure you set goals. What have you been, you know, part of any legislation or uh, something that, that really stands out in your mind? Well, my proudest moment was one of the first bills that I passed when I got down there. Um, it was a guy, it was a young man by the name of Rocky Clark. Sure. Who uh, was a football player at Eisenhower High School. Yes. Uh, took a bad hit and was paralyzed. Uh, years later, he sustained it for a few years later, and ultimately he passed away a few years ago. It was a bill uh, that would that would require uh, the state to or the the school districts in the state to pay on insurance after the insurance quote unquote ran out. His mom, Miss Clark, expended. She well, first and foremost, she was she was given a bad a bad deal, set, set of circumstances. Sure. She had to make a choice to say, should I, can I take care of my son who's quadriplegic or do I go to work? Mm. And she ended up making a choice that any parent would make. She's going to use up every resource she possibly had to make sure that she can have the best living conditions, the best quality of life for her son. Unfortunately, it costs money. And right. she was in a, in a financial crisis where she was, was in the process of losing her home because the insurance wouldn't cover after a certain amount. It was like either because the life expectancy, they expected him to live this long, but he outlived that policy. So I passed a bill that uh, would prohibit the insurance company from cutting that money out and they have to do it through duration. And that's something I'm proud of. It's called Rocky's Law. And uh, that, that was, that hit me because I knew Rocky had an opportunity to meet the young man. Uh, we not, we didn't grow up too far from each other. You know, I was in Dixmore, he was in Robbins. Eisenhower Thorne was rivals in, in collegiate, I mean, in high school sports. And uh, so for me to be able to do that, so another family wouldn't have to endure what Miss Clark endured with Rocky was special. So just think about Rocky's law. And like you just said, how many other people that you are helping because of what you did and what you accomplished in Springfield. 
Yeah, so th- that's special to me. And then it, there's a number of other things I've done that help local municipalities that, in the district that I represent. But that one there was, it was like my first shot at the apple. And I, yeah, I, and in my opinion, I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Do you look ahead at all for what might be next for Napoleon, or do you, are you are you so consumed with the current? work situation that you don't look ahead. You, well, you always have to look ahead. It's like driving. If you don't look ahead, you're going to crash. Mm-hmm. So uh, as it relates to politics, you look at the landscape and you see uh, what potentially can become available or what are your goals and aspirations. It's like driving. It's like you don't just get into the car and say, uh, I'm going to start it up. I'm going to put it in drive, and wherever I lead, I go. You That's Howard does. You have a plan. You <laughs> yeah. either say, hey, I'm yeah. going to the grocery store now, or mm-hmm. I'm going to work, or I'm going to visit a friend, I'm going out to dinner. You have a plan. Uh, unfortunately, politics is similar to that, but it's yet different mm-hmm. because you just can't make your own plans all the time because yeah. as most people know this by now, politics is not always about who can do the job the best at that time. It's, it's actually a popularity contest. Sure. And name recognition is a big uh, part is a big part of that, as well as timing. It's like you wouldn't think President Obama wouldn't be president if the timing of things didn't line up the way they actually did. Because if you recall, his first race, he ran against Bobby Rush and some others. And yeah. it just timing wasn't right. Uh, the number of people in the race kind of split up votes and he didn't win. Uh, he, he learned from those mistakes and capitalized in a different manner and was able to become the president of the United States. But uh, to your point, when you're talking about what's next, uh, I don't see myself being a state senator forever. But there, if there's opportunity to maybe uh, I can see Secretary Harris, mm-hmm. you know, Jesse White's uh, saying that he may or may not um, run again. We'll see about that. It could be U.S. Senate could be an opportunity or U.S. House of Representatives, or Governor Harris. Who knows? I mean, I'm not going to set a limitation on what the possibilities are. We'll just assess them as they come. I like the ring of that, Governor Harris. I like the ring of all of that. And I'll sign any signature that you need <laughs> for that, I can tell you. Uh, I was just handed some uh, breaking news. Guess who just announced that he's going to run for president in 2024? <laughs> Kanye West. Bingo. <laughs> Kanye West. President West. That would be fun. It'd be different. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be any different than it is it, than right now. <laughs> it's kind of different now. I, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, you are right. And I, I'm not going to say no one can't do it. That's his. We all have a right to run for office as as is laid out by the Constitution and, and, and our laws that govern our states, respective states. I think that many people look at public office and just eat, readily says, I can do it better, without actually knowing the details or what the job entails and having a common knowledge of the interworkings of certain institutions. There's a lot of different things that government do that people don't understand. Right. Uh, it, the way the healthcare system works, people think it's just so easy to just say, hey, we could just do this and everything will be fine. There's a lot of things that intertwine that if you pull this lever, this opens this, and it also opens this, this, and this, but it closes this. And you didn't mean it to close this, but you didn't mean mm. it to open this, but you sent the alarm off. That's just one aspect, the, the healthcare. 
There's also the financial industry. <laughs> There's also the construction industry with uh, with infrastructure, building roads and bridges, and social security, pension debt relief. Yes. There's on so on many different pots of information that I just think it takes some time to get it. And, and, and mind you, no one can say they're ready for president or ready for this until you actually do the job. Right. Because it's, it's like saying, it's like going for an interview for a job and they say, well, man, we really would like to hire you, but we wish you had more experience. So you never get a job. It's like, well, I'm never going to have experience if I don't work. You're right. So I think politics is somewhat in that in that vein, but you have to have either a strong team of people to be able to educate you on a myriad of different topics, but you also have to have some prior information about how things actually work. Sure. I, I think it's self-centered or wrong to just try to jump into it and you don't have a really solid idea of how things work. And it's not a nine-to-five job. It's not a nine-to-five. It's a 24-7 <laughs> job. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize. They say, well, you, it's a part-time job. Well, if I go to the grocery store at 8 o'clock p.m., people are still going to say, hey, send it here. Hey, let me. It's something I want to tell you. I just don't say, hey, 9 to 5, call the office, and we'll deal with it. I'm the senator all the time. Sure. And it never ends. It's not a part-time. It's a full-time job. I'm at a restaurant with my family. I'm still the senator. I have to take time to talk because people remember they okay i voted for you and you yes I, they go home hey i was at a restaurant and i tried to talk to senator harris and he didn't he didn't even acknowledge uh-huh. me you know and essentially any politician when you get into it i mean you work for the people you work for the people and that makes it 24 hours a day well whether uh, uh senator napoleon harris becomes governor harris <laughs> or president harris I, I wouldn't put any limits on what you can do after knowing you for so long and hearing how eloquently you speak. And um, whatever you do next or however long you do this, uh, Steve, we can say he's going to do it very well. Well, yeah, he's, he's proved that he's uh, multifaceted and talented. And any man that on a drop of a hat can sing the lyrics to yeah. this Christmas <laughs> has got my vote. Yes. Uh, so beyond that, it's been fun, man. I hope you've enjoyed this. Oh, I've had a ball. I, I can't wait for the next. I'm waiting on the next invitation already. <laughs> well, you have. It's like, the, it's like the Christmas card. You get the first Christmas card. You say, well, I can't wait till next year to see what they're going to do next. You have a standing invitation <laughs> to come on do. here. And your name will be... I might even put it first in the in the open. <laughs> All right, you, I think you need to me, relax. Now you need to relax. And then Steve. Calm down now. <laughs> Calm down? Yeah. Okay. He, it could just be us. There you go. Yeah. See, see, he's a teamwork. <laughs> he's a makes team the dream work. Yeah, you're exactly <laughs> You know right. that I used to say? There's no I in team, mm-hmm. but there's right. an M and an E. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But there's an eye and win. There's an eye and win. We could keep going with those. Thank you very much. We had a ball. Thank you, Napoleon. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Great job. We'll be right back on Back to You. Hey, guys. This week on And Friends, we sell out to Big Tobacco. That's right. And we talk about Bigfoot being stolen in Florida. Again. Again. And I have a special sex story in our sex box that's for Tommy. Just for me. Just for you. All this and more on And Friends. Woo. An OPI show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, where Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place. It's Radio Misfits. 
Com. We are back and back to you. Where is my phone? Steve, I really, really enjoyed that. I've known Napoleon Harris for a long, long time. As I said, I interviewed him in high school when he had that powerhouse basketball team. And uh, he's he's quite a young man, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I wasn't expecting uh, someone to be so well-rounded. But uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated uh, by people like that. Uh, always looking ahead and having a plan and sticking to it and accomplishing it. So, I mean, it, for, for most people, it would have been enough to have uh, had a dream of playing in college and you actually play in college. He goes on to football. He has a life that is totally different and uh, very important as a state senator. So he... And he's and he's a great role model for people, young he, and old. He is, and uh, uh, you know he's already accomplished a lot, and he's got a bright, bright future. Uh, back to you is podcasting from the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, and we invite you to check out their fabulous new exhibit. Stay tuned, Rock on TV now through 2020. And Steve, you and I walked through the museum out there and it is really fantastic i mean they have what really strikes you out there that you that you you saw well you're always interested in what people wear you know because that's that's what sets them apart when you see them as kids or in early tv or you you go see them perform live somewhere the first thing that strikes you is the outfit and uh, but the one there are two of them out there with the jackson five war yes because they were you know uh, always to me trying to emulate groups like the temptations who wore nice tailored suits and here are these kids who come along and they had these nice tail but it was lady gaga did you see that thing that yes. she had to put on that it looked like a contraption it's made out of sheet metal when you look at this thing it looks like torture to have to just try it on. You're right. Could you imagine putting on this costume that isn't material? It's, it's what is it? I mean, what's it made out well, of? Well, it was material. Well, it was a material soft. girl. Who? See, he gets it all muddied. Oh no, he? that's Madonna. <laughs> well, it was Madonna. We're not like Lady Gaga. When, when did she wear that? I remember the show. No, I don't either. But I know that she was famous for wearing. What? Outrageous outfits. Yes. And I didn't know it would be that outrageous. The, the it, costume's from Bad Romance. It is. It's yeah. from Bad Romance. And it is not cloth. It, is, it looks like song. it's steel or something. And you can get more info at museum.tv, and it is well worth it. I really have enjoyed walking through there, and I, I see something different that fascinates me every time. And we would like to invite everybody to listen, subscribe, rate back to you on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Just search for Radio Misfits for Back to You. Where is my phone? I've been looking for my I phone for 20 minutes. I can't help you with I, your phone. I thought I had left my phone in the car. I'm going to have to find your phone, and then I'm going to have to find your car. It's the same well, thing every week. I know the phone's not in every the car. Every week. Hey, Man. on the last podcast we did, you talked about how you were described as bubbly-wubbly in, by uh, Tom Shales yes. in a national, yeah. in the Washington, uh, yeah. the, uh, what, what paper? Post. In the Washington Post. <laughs> Um, I found the article. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, you didn't. Now, and, don't. Now. And, 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 don't, no, 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 hang on. It's I not, don't even. It's not bad. I, <laughs> it, Bill, I walked around for days wondering if it was bad. Bill Curtis's role had changed a little bit, and 
And from Shale's perspective, it said, it is painful to watch Curtis having to endure this kind of insult. As his role is diminished, that of bubbly, wobbly weatherman Steve Baskerville is increased. No, it didn't say that, does it? This is a guy. Does it say that? This is oh, a guy. Well, don't. Why do you have to keep reading it? That could report a pole-to-pole crack in the earth with a cheery puss. Oh my God. Significantly, he was included in the closing shot of the show's principles. Oh, we. So I would say, you let me all, say that again. All your bubbly, wobbly worry over the years was it good? Was it bad? Oh, that was terrible. Think I think it was good. That was terrible. His role was increasing. What are you increasing. talking about? Puss. You couldn't even <laughs> call it a face. That's awful. He's a writer. Let me see that again. Okay, as his role is diminished, that of bubbly, wubbly weatherman Steve Baskerville is increased. This guy could report a pole-to-pole crack in the earth with a cheery puss. Now, yes. that sounds good to you. Yes. It means that you could report it. You could report it very well, but you have a smile on your face, and you're very engaging. I knew that this, isn't it funny that this was stick with me? This was January 15th, 1985. Well, now you've got two copies. Here, take that one home to your wife. Isn't that unbelievable? Yes. That I would, that it would stick in my gut. Oh, bubbly wubbly. No, it's not. As you hear Samuel howling with laughter in the background back there. Yes. Well, how many Um, of us have ever been called bubbly wubbly? (laughs) uh, Can Samuel, Samuel. You yeah. heard this. Yeah. Does that sound like a compliment? I think so. <laughs> He's not sure either. Do you understand that from that morning for about at least a month, I walked around every day asking people, do you think that was good or do you think that was bad? And it would almost be like 50-50. Oh, that was a bit. And most people would be like Samuel. It uh, that was, uh, it depends on how you look at it. That was 34 years ago, Steve. <laughs> 34 years ago. And you know what? what? It goes back to the old line. Good Lord, as I long can't as they you spell your name that. correctly, you were, in, you were in a completely... Wow. <laughs> I can't believe you went and dug this up. It could be worse. That's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'll never ever forget it. No, because I've you been won't trying. Sleep tonight. You know what I'd like to do? Give a special thanks to Sam, who was just on. Sam Greenberg, our executive producer, is Tony Lasano with OpieShows.com. OpieShows.com. I said it twice, so Tony would be really happy. It is distributed by Ed Silha of Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. And now we come to that interesting and kind of, um, uh, you know, uncomfortable part of the program where I don't know how to close it. Well, I, I, we have, don't I know have, how to. We don't know how to say goodbye. Well, I have an alert that I have to read. Okay. And I, I should have gotten it out earlier. Okay. And I didn't mean to hold on to it this long. But uh, I wish you hadn't either. It was just reported that there's a pole-to-pole crack in the earth. <laughs> it was amazing, <laughs> but too. But don't worry. You know what? What? You did that with a cheery puss. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I think the show naturally just oh. ended. <laughs> oh. Where's my phone? Good luck, uh, good luck finding your phone and sleeping tonight. That's it. We thank everybody for listening. We thank uh, Senator Napoleon Harris. Fantastic. He was and wonderful. Thanks to you, Steve. And uh, give me a call tonight, and I might answer. I don't have a phone. i got to find it. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Borrow your wife's. Yeah. All right. That's it. Thank you. Bye. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Hey, this is Tony Lozano, and if you like podcasts, well, I'm the guy that you want to meet. Well, maybe, but I have my own called Nude Hippo, the podcast, and I do it with uh, many members of and friends, uh, including Kimmy. Hello. We feature some of the coolest guests like... Brian Cheverini, Ginger Z, Mr. Skin, Tom Dreesen, and so many more. These are like milestone interviews. They're timeless. So this way, you could pick it up at any point. I suggest you start from the beginning. Nude Hippo, the podcast, and Opie Show. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. <laughs> Is this over? Yes.